I had a young person come up to me with a very serious question one day, and his question was this. Are the people I live with my neighbors? And I said, well, that's kind of an interesting question. Why are you asking that question? He says, well, the word of God says that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I don't really like my sister very much. And if she's not really my neighbor because she lives in my house, then it's okay that I don't like her, right? You know, there is a sense that he asked a fair question. And in the, in the, the study that we're doing right now in God's word, that's kind of a fair question because I think we're always trying to figure out the caveats. How do things work? What can we really get away with? What do you mean by? And there is a sense that what Jesus was doing on the Sermon on the Mount was he was, through the red letters, of the things that he said, Jesus Christ was trying to basically figure out what people had heard as opposed to what was reality of what God was really saying. We're going to get into a third part of this whole idea of what expanded righteousness looks like beyond the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of that day. And we're going to look about an interesting idea today that will kind of be encapsulated by my friend Ben, who asked me that question years ago. Um, but here is the question. The question is, it's a question of control. How does God view control? But more than that, how do we view, view control? And so what had to happen is that they had started taking some parts of Scripture, and they had taken those parts of Scripture, and they had basically decided they could give them a little different meaning than maybe God originally talked about. And so an example of that would be the next scripture of that we're going to take a look at in chapter 5 of Matthew. And it says this, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, if you go back to the book of Exodus or to the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to find that after the giving of the Ten Commandments, there was a giving of ordinances and other laws for the country. And there was specifically some law given to the judges to explain to them how they were supposed to do things. And the quote of this comes from that section where basically God was telling judges that they were never supposed to give a punishment that was greater than the crime. So if an eye was lost, an eye could be taken. It's that idea of, of having an equity to judgment as opposed to having a crazy amount. And we've seen that today in the lawsuits in our country where occasionally there'll be a wrong committed, but all of a sudden the judgment made seems absolutely crazy for what was originally said. But here's what was the problem. People took this phrase... And they moved it out of the court system and they moved it into their daily lives. And so, in other words, they decided that in the law that they felt that they could be in charge of themselves, that they could live this out. Jesus Christ was saying, well, no, 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 that's not the truth. He says, in your daily life. You can't be the judge. Now, this is interesting because when we decide to be the judge, there's a word for that. The word is vigilante. A vigilante is somebody that takes the law and they take it into their own hands and they decide that they're going to be the judge and the jury and they can take care of it themselves. 
In fact, being a vigilante is actually a, a very popular idea. You see that in most of the cartoon-style movies that Marvel and DC put out. You see that in all kinds of things in popular culture, that this idea of me being in charge of justice and imposing justice myself is my responsibility. Jesus Christ is going to speak against this idea of vigilantism, and this is what he says in response to this. He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. In other words, instead of you being in charge of justice, you have to trust that God is in charge of justice. You know, this is really hard because I think there are times that we really want to be in control. And there is a sense that we just really think that in light of this situation, that if we could be in charge, this is how we would do that. Boy, do you see that today. Get on Facebook today. And there are people with all kinds of ideas, especially in light of the coronavirus, about how we're going to handle things, what things are going to look like. If I were in charge, this is what I would do. And a lot of people are even taking some of those things into their own hands. And so what he does is he gives four examples in Scripture of the types of things where in our personal lives, we have to be careful not to be the judge and the jury. The first of those examples or opportunities that he speaks of is found in verse 39. It says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other, to the other, the other also. Now, we obviously don't have as a part of our culture, the idea of a personal insult involving slapping somebody in the face. But in Jewish culture, they did. And basically what he's saying here is if somebody insults you, your first response shouldn't be to become the vigilante at that point and be the judge and the jury on that point and speak back. He's telling us to be quiet. Now, it's interesting because we see this example in Jesus. Remember when he went through his trials that they got so frustrated with him most of the time because what did he say? Nothing. When Jesus Christ was being beaten by the soldiers, what did he do? Nothing. There is a reality here that sometimes the best thing that we can do is nothing. Proverbs says that even a fool is considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. One of the areas that it's really hard not to get overly involved in is in when words are personally insulting to us, and so we get frustrated. The second area is in financial abuse. Now, we probably don't understand this because most of us have more than one outfit. But in 540, it says, if someone would to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You know, there are times where, have you ever felt like somebody's taking financial advantage of you? And you feel like you need to do something about it? God is saying that in the midst of this, that we have to be careful not to be the vigilante. But we need to be careful that occasionally when we feel just a little bit financially abused, taken advantage of, because see, their tunic would have been considered a part of their estate, a part of their wealth was their very clothing. He says that we need to be careful when we're in these situations to make sure that we're letting justice happen in the way it's created. You know, 
but not by us personally always feeling like we're judge and jury. He goes on and he talks about another area. He says, if someone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles. He, he was speaking of something that we don't have happen in our society. It probably happened during um, the Revolutionary War. But one of the things that really bugged them is that the British soldiers could come into a town and basically say, uh, we want your bed. And now you need to feed us. There was a reality that a, a Roman soldier could look at a person and say, you need to carry this for me. In fact, we see that in the fact that there was a man that carried Christ's cross, right? He's saying here that instead of being upset by this idea that I'm being physically taken advantage of, that instead of just always fighting for our rights, that we have a willingness in our personal lives to go the next step and to bless a person even when they're taking advantage of us. In fact, he goes on in verse 42 and he says this, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, sometimes people want to, they want to leverage our generosity. We experience that as a church every once in a while. There will be people that show up and they, they just, they, they have needs and they feel like the church can help take care of them. And although I listen to their story and, and I want to understand, there's very few times that I don't give and try to take care of their needs. And people go to me, well, what, what if they're taking advantage of you? And I go, well, that's not really my problem. That's their problem. Because Jesus Christ gave other examples in Scripture that kind of back up this idea where he says, be careful because you may be entertaining an angel unaware. And so in this first area of control, it's really interesting, is that we have to give up some control of ourselves and decide that we can't be the judge and the jury in situations. This is a hard one for us. I think that most of us, especially Americans, are incredibly opinionated and we think what we think matters and should be the rule of law all the time. But God is calling us to live differently. He's calling us to trust that there's another judgment it was put this way in Romans. it says this beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord it's really hard i can remember being very frustrated with this years ago and reading in the old testament i believe in the book of isaiah and it explained that god had a cloak of vengeance and it described the rest of his armor, and his, the rest of his armor was very similar to the armor that I have in the book of Ephesians. And as I read that passage, God said to me, you don't get the cloak. I think that there is this reality that we want the cloak. And in their society, they'd given themselves permission by twisting Old Testament scripture to give them the ability to take what was supposed to be a principle used by judges and as to make it a principle that gave them permission to be judges. So that's the first area, the control that he talked about. But he talked about another area of control, which is really kind of interesting. He said, you have heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay. See, there's some Psalms in the Old Testament. They're called the impeccatory Psalms that speak of their, their Psalms to God about him taking care of their, their enemy and, and us agreeing that, that God's enemies are bad. And somehow they twisted this and decided, 
you know what, we have permission to hate. Now, a lot of you would go, well, that, that's not good. And I, I would agree that that's not good. And so Jesus goes on and explains this. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, I, I think that there is this reality that every one of us has people that we've had bad experiences with. There are people that have treated us poorly. And this command to love them and to pray for them that, that's a really not very easy thing. And he, Jesus goes on and explains some things that are kind of interesting about this. He says, so that you may be the sons of your father is who is in heaven. And he goes on and explains how God loves. It says, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Here, here's the reality. We need to love like God loves. And the interesting thing is, is that God doesn't, God loves the people that don't love him. In fact, it says that in the book of John. It says that he loved us before we ever loved him. And if we're going to be like God, and if we're going to live this expanded righteousness, we have to move past this idea of just loving people that we love. And the people that don't love us, it's okay if we don't love them back. In fact, he, he challenges that very thinking as you read on in this passage. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Even the tax collectors do the same. Now, in their culture, the lowest life form of Jewish people was a tax collector. And he's saying, you're no better than the low lives who love the people that love them. He goes on in verse 47, he says, If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Have you ever been in the room, I've been in the room, where there's someone and they've made it pretty clear they don't like me, okay? And so I'll come into the room and I'll try to greet them and they'll go, Have you ever had that experience? Don't look you in the eye, just kind of ignore you. But then all of a sudden, someone that they do like comes into the room and they just come alive. And it's like, hi, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah. That's what he's talking about here. Is sometimes we have to make sure that we have a fairness and a different approach to love. And that we are willing to love and to cherish even those people who've been very unlovely to us. In verse 48, he says this, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Think about this. God loves us perfectly. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about the reality that there are some people that equate God with the, the lack of love that they've received somewhere. Maybe it's because they look at God like a father figure. And so if God is a father and their dad was not a good dad, then maybe God the Father isn't a good dad. But the Word of God teaches us about the love of God. Take a look at what it says in 1 John. It says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He does not love his brother if he does not love, for if he does not love his brother, whom he has seen, 
cannot got cannot let, let me try this again. He is a liar. For if he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. It makes sense in my head. Here's the reality. God's saying that how we treat people vertically is connected to how we treat him horizontally. Now, that's backwards. Horizontally is how we treat people. Vertically is how we treat him. And so, God is calling us to live differently and to be have a different kind of control. First of all, we have to be willing to be out of control. We have to be willing to say, you know what, I am not in control. So even if I'm not treated well, even though I, if I have bad experiences, even though people may take advantage of me, I am not going to retaliate in those relationships. And people are saying, well, you're being kind of a doormat. Not really. I think it takes much greater self-control to do nothing than to do something poorly. God is calling us to trust that he is in charge and that his cloak is on and that he's going to take care of things and he's going to judge things fairly. But then God is calling us to something more interesting. To those very people that maybe are taking advantage of us, that we could easily put on the bad list or on the, the do not love list. He's calling us to be different than the world and to be different than other individuals and to be even different than them. And he's calling us to be people that love. Here's a reality that I think is really need to, that we need to get back to over and over again. God is not asking us to do something he did not do for us. Think of Jesus Christ as an example in these two areas. Wow. Jesus Christ deeply loved even those who on a regular basis took advantage of him. Jesus deeply loved his family who thought he was crazy. He was an example of that. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, every one of us were his enemies. And the reason he died on the cross was to give his enemies, every one of us, because of our rebellion against God, the opportunity to be in relationship with him. And so Jesus Christ isn't asking an odd standard for those who live in his kingdom. Jesus is asking us to live out the very thing that he did by his example to us. Now, there are some of you out there, and I don't know what you're at, where you're at in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ's greatest desire is for you to move from being an enemy of the cross because you deny what it can be for you to being a friend of the cross who asks Jesus Christ to be his Savior. So if you've never done that, I encourage you. Today, that should be the day that maybe you should do that to realize that Jesus Christ is, is living out this different standard. And you know what? It's the standard we want. Every one of us wants to be treated fair and to be loved. And God, out of his fairness, could have just kept us as enemies of the cross. But out of his love for us, he had his son die on the cross so that you could have a relationship with him. And for the rest of us, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, I think there's some challenging things here. I think you need to look around at your relationship and, and the list that you've created, friend and enemy list maybe, or 
this person is my frenemy, you know. And I, I think that we need to take a look at the situations that are going on in the life. One of my dear sisters in the faith has gone through a situation where she's been incredibly mistreated lately. And I'm very excited for her because what I see her living out is living out these principles where she has decided that and somehow I've got to be in charge and i got to be judge and i got to figure out what to do right here. She's letting herself stay at the foot of the cross and she's watching God be the judge and jury and take care of things. But it's really hard to trust God in those things. What one of those four things do you need to trust him in? Is there an insult, a financial impropriety? Is there an area where you're being taken advantage of? Where someone is leveraging your generosity? Have you given yourself permission to not love someone because of how unloving they've been? God is calling us to a different standard. Let's pray together. Dear God, the deeper you go in explaining in your red letters what you want from us, the more challenging this gets. It's hard to feel like you're out of control. It's hard to be hurt by people. And yet, God, you're calling us. You're saying that freedom comes in, first of all, trusting that you are the judge. And freedom comes in loving people even when they're unlovely. And so, God, we pray today that we could trust you in this standard. And, God, it has real practical implications to today. God, we're dividing ourselves in new ways today. Some people want freedom and they want to be able to go anywhere and do anything right now during this COVID epidemic time. Other people want people to just give them their space and, and, and they just want everybody to wear their mask and, and everything to be okay. And so we have the mask versus the non-mask. We have the reopen versus stay closed. We, we have all of these things where, once again, we have opportunities to make all kinds of judgments about each other. We enter a store wearing our mask and somebody's not wearing theirs right. And we can be a judge. And yet, God, you are calling us not to be judges, but to be lovers. And so, God, we pray that even in the, the, the challenging moments with people that we know, with family members that we love, that you would help us to stop being judges and help us to be lovers instead. Because that's what your word is calling us to. God, help us to live in the freedom of being out of control and under your loving control. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, just a couple things as we close uh, the service today. Um, first of all, we do need to continue to pray. Um, we received a sad word this week that um, COVID continues to touch our friends in Nicaragua really hard. Um, when we used to go on the medical mission with them, there was uh, a gentleman that was a merchant and uh, probably around 60 years old. And his name was Jaime. 
And uh, I know that name well because that's how you would say my name in Spanish. I would be Jaime. But Jaime um, was a clown. And uh, literally, he was a clown. And he would minister to the children and love on the kids and the medical mission. And he died this week from the virus. And so it's hard enough that we're having to go through this. But I don't know what your experience is, but when someone that I loved and enjoyed uh, was a person that passed away from this, it, it, it kind of hit a little harder. So if you would pray for Jaime's family and for the Baptist church there in Messiah, um, I would really appreciate it today. Um, I got to see Angela this week, and she was out and going on a walk and regaining her strength. And so we just continue to pray for her. I know that some of you have gone back to work, and others of you are looking forward to that. And so we're praying for your protection and your wisdom as you do that. I'm sure that you heard that President Trump made a proclamation that we can go back to church. And uh, I think that that's great um, at one level. But now we have to figure out how to do that. So pray for our ministry team as we do that. Jonathan's back in town. So next week we're going to go just a little bit longer. And uh, we're actually going to do some worship next week as a part of our service. So um, we're going to be moving out of the basement into the family room where we've been um, recording and going up to the sanctuary and beginning the process of getting ready uh, to come back to church. So look forward to information from us. Uh, there's a much to pray for in each of your families. And so let's uh, pray together just for our church at this time. Dear God, um, every moment was written of by the author of Ecclesiastes when he said there's a time for everything. And... It's hard to think about Jaime not being there next time we go to Nicaragua on a missions trip. And so I pray for his family. I pray for the little bodega where he worked and that you would take care of his family. Uh, I'm glad that Jeanette's doing better, but I continue just to pray for them. We have so much wealth here. Even our poorest are so wealthy. And so we just pray for people that have the that are the least of these. And God, we pray for their protection and that you would take care of them during this time of of this pandemic that we're underneath. God, we pray for Angela, for her continued healing, for her continued protection as she's more vulnerable. And we think of the people that are more vulnerable at this time and we Pray that you would just continue to protect and take care of them. God, we uh, thank you for a president that is willing to stand for liberty. And now we pray for wisdom and how to do this. God, how do we reopen? What does that look like? God, so many ideas. And so we pray that you would give us the wisdom to do that. We thank you that Jonathan's back around and we look forward to the opportunity to have simple worship together next Sunday as we join together. And God, we thank you that we haven't stopped being a church. And so a part of worship has always been the offering. And so 
God, we pray that you'd bless the offering that your people give today. And uh, we thank you for the generosity of this church that has taken care of us. We pray, God, for those people that are, are wrestling with how to give and what to give. And we pray that, in, like in so many other areas of their life, they would just say yes to you and experience the joy of obedience to the God that they love. And God, we pray that you would help us to be the lovers that we're supposed to be instead of the judgers. It breaks my heart to think that the world sees us more as judgers than lovers. And so, God, I pray that in our individual lives and on our individual interactions that we would live out of our control and in your control and that we would we would love everyone and learn to be perfect in our love just as you are we pray all these things in your name amen well church it's been good to be together thanks for